afternoon and good evening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to episode 18 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Clarice Lockery. I'm Hannah Flint. And I'm Amon Warman. This week, Skull! I'm hoping I pronounced that right. <laughs> we are talking about this year's Oscar winner for Best International Feature Film, Another Round. We're getting freaky with Freaky, <laughs> Blumhouse's new body swap horror comedy. Chris Pratt is on a mission to the future in the sci-fi epic The Tomorrow War, and we're taking a trip down to Fear Street for part one, 1994, the first in a new trilogy of horrors for Netflix. Plus, for this week's hot take, we'll be revisiting the controversy over Bruce Lee's depiction in Once Upon a Time, dot dot dot, in Hollywood, after Quentin Tarantino not so politely told his critics to, uh... What did he do? What did he say? Oh, yeah, to go suck a dick. Suck a dick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he said it in exactly that tone of voice. I haven't listened to the audio recording. (laughs) But before we get into that, what has everyone been up to this week? Um, How has life been for the Fade to Black crew? (laughs) Well, prior to recording, I explained my sleep deprivation, but I don't want to bore officers with that. So I'll tell you something good that happened this week. Um... I, so I'm 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 part of Times Up uh, Times Up UK Critics Working Group Clarice's I'm a co-chair on it and it was really cool this week as part of BFI's Woman with a Movie Camera Summit we were able to kind of put together a panel discussion with some like six of us in total to talk about you know behind the bylines the kind of trials and tribulations of film criticism uh, when you're a woman. <laughs> and not just about that. I think a lot of the stuff actually what we found was it's not just about being a female critic, it's just freelance life in general. Um, and that's going to be, uh, we recorded that and that's going to be going out live as part of their summit with BFI in mid-July. So I'll give it a shout out, but it was really nice to be able to, I don't know, have a space to chat and just kind of, you know... Get, give people a bit of an idea of what it's like. You know, we talk about female gays. We looked at what criticism means to us. What is a fair wage? <laughs> I'm sure everyone here has got a good opinion yeah. on that. <laughs> um, uh, and also the Twitter bio versus reality. I think, you know, we've kind of discussed in this podcast a bit about like social media profiles and the positives and negatives that come to that. So it's a really, it was a really cool discussion. And, I, and I'll definitely give it a shout out when there's a specific date it's going out on. Um, but yeah, that was fun. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm also will be doing something uh, with the BFI for that event, but uh, I'll tell you guys at a later date. Let's the hush, hush, a little bit super secret surprise. Hush, hush. <laughs> Come on, what have you been up to? Not doing anything with the BFI, I can tell you that much. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> You are not a woman, Amon. <laughs> you, you can't be like, where's my... Where is where is the platform for men at the woman? You know what I'm saying? Gosh, like... all we hear about is women, women, women. Where is the, you know, when when are, when are men going to get their day in the sun as well? That's that's what I want to know. Yeah. Um... When is International Men with a Movie Camera? <laughs> Uh, what have I been doing? Well, I did do a cool thing. Uh, it's going to be up on Composer Magazine in a couple of weeks, but I spoke to the composer for Loki, Natalie Holt, um, earlier this week, and we had a, a good, long hour conversation about her score, about being the second woman composer in the MCU, and, and what that means. We, we, we really got into all of it, um, and it was a really, really fun chat. Um, I don't think... It's one of those things where it's, I, I love doing interviews like that because 
even though Loki is obviously her biggest project to date, this is um she's 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 still fairly early in her career, and uh, a score like what she's done for Loki, I think, could really help bolster her career and take it to the next level. And it's very deserving of doing that. It's really really great work. I you know tweeted that for me, it's top five music in the MCU and. For anybody who knows me and knows how much I love the MCU music, that I don't, I do not say that lightly. Um, so yeah, I really, really enjoyed that, and keep an eye out for that on Composer Magazine in a couple of weeks' time. Speaking of Loki, can we just <laughs> talk about? <laughs> Clarice has definitely got something to say <laughs> with her squad quest cast. Later, uh, yes, <laughs> I would like to start a hashtag. Hashtag let Loki fuck himself. <laughs> Like literally though, I like I'm just really like hyper fixating on Loki at the moment. I'm really enjoying it, uh, in a way that I haven't really enjoyed like a Marvel thing since I don't know, like Black Panther maybe. Like I'm very I'm very into it. Really, God, that's a while. Since twenty seventeen. Twenty eighteen, sorry. That's wild. This is how much I've enjoyed Loki and um I don't know I don't wanna like so, uh, do we think that everyone's watched it? I'm sorry, but it's kind of, this is going out on a Sunday. Okay. It's yeah. been days. Because also, I think it's really funny that um, when I interviewed Kate Heron, um, there was a thing that I noticed on her Twitter, on her Instagram. I saw someone comment on it, and it was Jamie Alexander. And I was like, hey, oh, wow. so I saw a comment. Uh, it's like, hey, I saw that she commented on your Instagram. So what's what's the situation? Is Lady Sith coming back? <sighs> Listeners, she lied straight to my face. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, you know, you know, like you know, some, you know, it was so sweet because I'm doing this, and sometimes people like you, whatever." And then the latest episode, <laughs> when Lady Sith turns up, I was like, "I knew it." And actually, it was nice because Kate replied was like, oh, "When you at my literally my soul went out of my body when you asked that question, and she got the Homer falling, you know, moving backwards into the um, hedge meat like gif." She said that, so that was quite funny. So there we go. That's so funny. <laughs> I just want to say my new my new favorite character is um, well, I don't know what we're calling him, Croaky Loki Dial Loki Gator. I don't know what his name is, but I love him. Crocky, Loki, Crocky. But I think he might be an alligator, though. So uh, alligator, Loki. Yeah. Lo- yeah. Loki Gator. I'm actually currently reading uh, Loki, Agent of Asgard, um, which is really it's a good like comic. Kid Loki. And again, once again, we're introduced to uh, Kid Loki, who is a significant part of the Young Avengers kind of narratives mm-hmm. in the comic book. Mm-hmm. So once again, are we heading towards Young Avengers? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. so. So mm-hmm. yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. But does it also mean, does Loki Gator also mean that we're getting Throg? That's Thor Frog, right? I, I know. Oh Frog. my God. I have Throg <laughs> on Lego Marvel superheroes too. <laughs> and I love him. <laughs> He's great. We will be talking about uh, Loki a lot in the Loki spoiler special uh, in a couple of weeks' time once the, once the series wraps. And speaking of spoiler specials, we've got the Fast 9 spoiler special, which has been up for a while now. Uh, and uh, we've got a special coming for Legally Blonde, uh, which yeah. two of the people uh, on this podcast did a super special interview with. Um, I haven't watched the film yet, so you can probably tell that it wasn't me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> 
We got an exclusive as well, I think. Amazing. I don't look. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe like, it's going <laughs> to so be big. keep your eyes and ears peeled is what I'm saying. Yeah. We've got and some we've, oh, sorry. We kind of, be- also we're doing a Black Widow one, I think, because I spent 15 yes. minutes chatting to O.T. Fabenle, who plays like this new character, uh, Rick Mason, in the film. It's kind of sexy. It's a kind of sexy addition to the MCU. <laughs> You can tell that Hannah was really excited about that chat. <laughs> oh God, I was. It was, it was, it was, it was so, so dreamy. Anyway, uh, but there's so much, so much stuff to come. I'm so excited. Yes. But... Um. Yeah, I don't really have anything to plug. I will take some credit for the fact that uh, great casting news, Alden Aaron Reich is in Cocaine Bear. <laughs> Potentially played the Cocaine Bear, who knows? <laughs> but uh, I'm just really happy that he's employed and like, you know, I've been out here just repping for this guy. <laughs> and now, now he's got a cool film. So everybody go see it or I will hunt you down. <laughs> I'm really excited for this review when it comes out eventually. You need to you need to secure that interview. Really though. The campaign starts here. <laughs> right, we probably talk about some movies, shouldn't we? <laughs> yes, I was gonna say. Uh well we're gonna start off with uh another round. Another round of Alden Ehrenreich and another movie and also another round. <laughs> the movie that was made in Denmark. <laughs> What a life, what a night, what a beautiful, beautiful ride. Mm. Uh, You might have guessed that. So that is the song from Another Round, the film that partially, though not solely, exists to remind us that Mads Mikkelsen was once a professional dancer. (laughs) Like, why is he not dancing in more movies? I think it should be a contractual obligation that he dances (laughs) in every single movie that he does. Put him in a musical. (laughs) (laughs) Can he sing? Who cares? Who cares? He can dance. He can dance. Yeah, He's he can Mad Nicholson. Like... He can do anything. He can just be the dancer <laughs> in it. He can just be like the one who just 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 interpretive dance. Because that's what yeah. he was. He was a ballet dancer, wasn't he? He was very contemporary. Love it. In another round, four high school teachers consume alcohol on a daily basis to see how it affects their social and professional lives. Directed by Thomas Vinterberg, it stars Mads Mikkelsen, Thomas Bo Larsen, Magnus Milang, and Lars Rand. Amon, what did you think of another round? <laughs> you know what? I do not drink, um, but the first two acts of this film made me think that I should reconsider uh, because this is a fun film. I really, really liked it. I should say Thomas Vinterberg and Mads Mikkelsen, they have really good form because uh, there was a film I watched years ago called The Hunt uh, in which uh, Mikkelsen played a kindergarten teacher who's wrongly accused of being a pedophile. That was directed by Thomas Vinterberg. And I really, really uh, thought that film was great. And, you know, Vinterberg... I can second that. It's, it's great. I love it. I will third it. <laughs> so Vinterberg plus Muggleson plus teaching is just a strong combo. And they've done that here again. So I really like how this film takes a nuanced look at the good and the bad of drinking. Um, and... I think Mikkelsen's performance really is great because you can see the difference in what and you you can see you can see the difference in how he feels and how he goes about his day 
um, without drinking, you know, when, when we first sort of meet him in this film, he's very disillusioned. And then the confidence that he gains from drinking and how um, that is shown and how that is reflected with his teaching is so great. And, you know, this is a really subtle performance, but uh, it's very, very effective. I think, you know, Mickelson has had an incredible career and this is up there with some of his best work, which is saying something. I'd heard so much about the final scene before I watched this movie, uh, which is the sequence, the aforementioned sequence where Mickelson busts the move. Nothing could prepare me for how awesome it was. It's just amazing. Uh, and I like how sort of they, they, they see that early in the film and then they pay it off in a big way. So yeah, I, I really, really liked it. It was very, very deserving of winning uh, Best International Feature Film at this year's Oscars. Mm. Yeah, sorry to spoil it, guys, but it's the most purest moment of joy. <laughs> like, I just I adored that scene so much. But I think what I love about this film is, you know, on paper, you're like four middle-aged white dudes getting drunk because to make themselves feel better because they're going for like a sort of midlife crisis. You're like, oh, these guys are just kind of shells in a way. They are, the way they're written and the way that, what they're going through in a way, they're just kind of pathetic. It's It doesn't shy away from how pathetic they really are and how increasingly trying to use this alcohol as a crutch to make themselves feel better. I don't think in the, it ever in the film suggests that this is a good thing that you should do. You know, of course... You know, at first, it kind of seems like it's working out. and I, uh, But I think e individually, each of these actors, I think there is a sensitivity to their performance. I think Mads is such a gentle soul and he says so much by doing so little. Sometimes it's just a look. He, his eyes, <laughs> it's like the doors of perception. His eyes <laughs> speak volumes. But that would be, I don't want to do it suggest that he's the main person because actually I think Thomas Bo Larson who plays a PE teacher who is kind of divorced his mm. only love he's got in his life is, is his dog and it just broke me I think all of these men I think I'm I, I, in a way not to say that this is my dad but I think in a way like they reminded me of you know that's my my dad like they could have been one of my dads uh, one of my dads I've only got one but any one of them could have been my dad I've seen this there's a sort of certain you know boomer kind of 40 50 year old man who's just trying to you know he's not a toxic masculinity that's not trying to you know big man bro culture there's just these kind of men who get to a certain point in their lives and you know and not saying my dad's go for it sorry I feel like I'm I feel like I should just like disclaimer my dad's great <laughs> but yeah. it's just kind of that that sort of kind of uh, I suppose father or that kind of middle-aged man where it doesn't feel like he fits into a stereotypical viewpoint what you might have seen if it was like you know what's that one like um what's that one with Tim uh Tim Allen and John Travolta and they're Wild hogs, wild hogs. Do you know what I mean? It kind of, it felt like, you know, this, it, it, that, 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 that losing yourself, losing yourself as you grow up and you stop knowing who you were meant to be. And I think often the relatability of using alcohol as a means to get yourself back or feel better, I think we have to acknowledge that that has often been a tool for men, especially um, to, you know, sanitize or kind of desanitize their lives or, you know, kind of take the edge off the stresses of the world. And I think it really captured that. And ultimately, 
you know, it had a really important thing to say on the subject um, without kind of glorifying appleism. I just think it's just so sensitive, sensitively done, so wonderfully performed. I love Winterberg and I just, you know, I fell in love with all of these men. Yeah, I, I think the the thing that really got me is um, I'm sure everyone saw Thomas Winterberg's Oscar speech where he spoke about um, his daughter, Ida, who I mean, very sadly died four days into production. And knowing that he actually changed the ending, like that kind of ending is a response to her death. Like that kind of, that's what really broke me because otherwise, you know, sort of the, the large, the front part of the movie to me is sort of reflects the, the drinking night, right? Because <laughs> right? you start off kind of timid, like, oh, we'll just have like a little sip here, a little sip here. And then it grows and grows into this sort of like Bacchanalian monster and you have the inevitable come down, the sort of emotional hangover of it all. But then I think to have that final scene, to have that one little, that feeling of hope, that feeling of, of you know, as the song says, <laughs> embracing life, um, it, it really adds something to the movie and it adds this like whole new, I mean, it, obviously it was a great movie before, but it, it adds this like whole other layer to it that it's just so moving for me because it's like, yeah, it's what you guys said. It's like the level of nuance and approach to this of like recognizing why alcohol is like one of the foundational things of society is maybe <laughs> it's like the beginning of history. And, and like when we talk about it like that, it's, it's difficult to just, you know, demonize it and say it's evil and, and bad and no one should ever drink ever because like it's such a part of society because it's like a, a kind of social function and i think this film is really good at recognizing that and and i love that when the men were drunk like they were allowed to be affectionate with each other mm. like that was the one time the society allows them to be playful with each other and they're wrestling and singing and like really like just telling each other that they love each other and they appreciate each other and it's like god like that's kind of sad <laughs> <laughs> that's how the world works uh so yeah i think like another round is it kind of seems like it's one thing but it's a hundred other things at the same time and it's just beautifully put together uh so i feel like we're all agreed on this but screen stream or skip I'm on. skip said no one ever um no this is a <laughs> I got Send me an occasion no. <laughs> <laughs> this is a screen for me uh go and see mads mickelson dance on the big screen you will not regret it yeah same I, I saw it at tiff in 2020 and then they were doing like award screener stuff and i was like to my boyfriend i was like yo you have to watch this with me again loved <laughs> it even more i'm tempted now to watch it with a 0.05 percent I'll <laughs> <laughs> See, of all the people who, you know, would genuinely try this experiment, it would absolutely be Hannah. Wow. <laughs> God, am I outing myself? <laughs> oh my God. You know what? Let me just tell you this, this listeners. When, before the pod, I was saying, yeah, I haven't got sleep. Mom's like, oh, have you been drinking? It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, no, I've got crippling anxiety, but okay. <laughs> To be fair, I do like a drink. I will Thank take you. It. You say that as if it was like without, within, 
no, that's bells of expectation. You, you, you like a drink, and that's absolutely maybe fine. that's why I love the film. I'm Matt <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, I would also say definitely, definitely screen, just great great movie you know like when you get drunk and you like to get real freaky well there's a movie called freaky (laughs) it's not about drinking it's about stabbing but we're gonna review it now honestly if this was a horror movie i'd be one of the first ones to get killed cue the creepy dude in the mask like i said But actually, it turns out... Where am I? I didn't get killed. Oh my god, why do I sound like that? I woke up in the killer's body. Cause tonight, baby, I wanna get freaky with you. I was a big fan of Blue growing up. I was not the only fan of Blue growing up, apparently. <laughs> Wasn't that another level? No, that was blue. Was it? I was like, because tonight, it's like Dame Bowers. Because tonight, baby, I want to get freaky with you. Isn't that Dame Bowers? I'm t- I think it's blue. I'm going to double check. I have no <laughs> idea what you guys are talking about, so. Listeners, <laughs> tell us if we're right or wrong once you listen uh, to this pod. Um, but freaky. Um, it is. Sorry. Let me look you up and down till you say stuff. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm not going to hear the end of this now. Okay, sorry. Sorry, what was that lyric? Let me lick you up and down until you say yeah. stuff. So you say stop. Let me play with your body, uh, baby. Stop. Make it real hot. Let me do all the things that you like, want say stuff. to do. And it's because tonight, baby, I'm going to lick you until you say stuff. I realised, though, that my follow-up okay. lyric wasn't actually... I, I went I went into bump and grind. <laughs> oh god, I really I hope everyone enjoys these little segues on the podcast. Uh so Freaky uh, is about 17-year-old Millie Kessler, who's played by Catherine Newton. She spends her days trying to survive high school and the cruel actions of the popular crowd. But when she becomes the latest target of the butcher, the town's infamous serial killer, her senior year becomes the least of her worries. When the butcher's mystical dagger causes him and Millie, Millie to magically switch bodies, the frightened teen learns she only has 24 hours to get her identity back before she looks like a middle-aged maniac forever. Uh, this is directed by Christopher Langdon. It stars Vince Vaughn, Catherine Newton, and Alan Ruck. Hannah, what did you make of Freaky? Um, I thought the opening sequence was one of the most horrifying things I've seen in a while. It was truly mm-hmm. gruesome, uh, some of the kills. Um, and so that I would say that was a good opener. But I, I think fundamentally the issue of a body swap sort of movie is is the the performance given when you have your body swapped. So, you know, Freaky Friday obviously is the most famous one, which was, which obviously, we, well, the one I know, the one I grew up on was Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. And there is something about the way they delivered it. You kind of believe that these people, they weren't just playing like a caricature of what they think, it, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, she you can she did that, delivered that kind of teenage performance very well. Um, even something like The Hot Chick, which was 
Rob Schneider and Rachel McAdams. I mean, that is just like, it's just mm. so perfect, especially as like he was capturing the sort of kind of vapid character. He had, you know, uh, Jessica had gone into his, the Rob Schneider's body and he captured well. My issue with this film is that neither performance were at all on the level that I believed either of them swapped characters. I think Vince Vaughn basically, you know, it's 2021. The idea that girls are running around with their hands like held at this, like flipping their arms around is just actually offensive. Um, he basically just didn't even do it. Like there was no correlation between who the kind of the character she was the sorry what's the name is it Cassie the name of the girl Millie Millie there was no correlation between the character Catherine Millie Catherine Newton was playing in Vince Vaughn's performance of that same character same goes for uh, Catherine Newton who was a tid tiny bit better but what I take massive issue with is the idea that this girl who you know she wears kind of not frumpy clothes she's a good looking girl but the idea that this psycho serial killer who doesn't wash who spends his whole time in this mill who is like literally sadistic and is just awful from what we saw of him the idea that he knows how to do a uh, to do makeup like he knows to do the perfect red lip the idea that he's got a fashion sense so he can make her look hotter the hot girl that for me just didn't it just frustrated me because it just didn't ring true for what I would imagine if a serial killer went into your body would they know how to do an like a black hole eyeliner absolutely not like where's he learning that from so I just think it was just a really once you got into that bit it just felt very lazy and I just I was just waiting for it at the end I thought it was very cliche there was a funny moment between the mum her, her mom and Vince in a changing room, which is quite funny. But you had the cliche, black best friend, gay best friend, hot guy who's going to help out. It was all just so cliche for me. And I was just not into it really that much at all. I liked it more than you, but I feel like, I feel like my issue is that I love Happy Death Day, which is also a Christopher Landon film. It's kind of the same idea of, you know, take a, <laughs> like a really nostalgic property like happy death day is a spin yeah. on groundhog day and mix it with a like slasher framework uh yeah and this one i agree that it, it the concept just doesn't work as well as happy death day and i think my issue was less with the performances i didn't i didn't mind vince vaughn's performance i thought he he dialed it down enough that it didn't it didn't feel offensive to me. It felt more like he was trying to mimic Catherine Newton, who does, you know, in her on-screen characters, tends to be quite like, oh, I'm a nervous teenage girl. <laughs> um, I think I think the problem was that so many of these body swap films, like taking the example of Freaky Friday, the appeal is it's J.B. Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan who were who are and were both huge stars at the time and it was the excitement of seeing them act out these very like recognizable versions like you it's not just Jamie Lee Curtis being a teenage girl it's Jamie Lee Curtis performing Lindsay Lohan and here like like Catherine Newton is great I I think she's a and she could be a huge star I think she's not at the moment, I wouldn't know how to do a Catherine Newton impression yet. Mm. <laughs> and then Vince Vaughn, 
you know, he's not, this isn't Wedding Crashers, Vince Vaughn. You know, he's not doing a version that is super recognizable. He's doing like what he was doing in the Psycho <laughs> remake, which, you know, mm-hmm. not everybody saw. <laughs> and so, yeah, so when they swap, they like, they don't really have that much to, to bounce off. And it's not really kind of exciting to see those performances. Uh, but yeah, like I didn't, I didn't hate it. I just... It's just hard with Happy Death yeah. Day is so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I feel like next one they should do is big. Oh, maybe. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. yeah, it's big, but it's like the child's Like Damien, like the Omen, I don't know. <laughs> but big. <laughs> yes. Has. Have you seen the hot, have you seen the that hot one. I feel like I saw it like it's when it so came good. Out. It's, it's like, like early 2000s, It's like, right? yeah, it is. But it's like Rob Schneider. <laughs> I just think there was a time where Rob Schneider, like... He's delivered so hard. Like, even when he was in, like, uh, the Adam Sandler, you know, what was it? Little Nicky. He's like, you can do it, Nicky. Like, there's so many little mm-hmm. roles that he has yes. that I love. But I just thought in that, the hot chick, he just really, he went, I think you have to go full throttle. I think he went full throttle into it. And I think Jamie Lee Curtis went full throttle. There was no, but with, with Vince, I felt like he was very self-aware and it was like, he was still trying to maintain a level of, I'm still Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I think he, I I could recognize in that performance, he was trying not to be misogynistic, but which I think is the problem because then you have Catherine Newton, who she's not, as an actor, is not doing anything like weird enough that you can bounce off of. Like, in, that's what I mean. I've seen it was her, a like, very, this, a it was an unconscious. <laughs> I don't know what you think of them, but like, I felt like it was a very Catherine Newton, Millie. She wasn't this, she was, it was a, such an understated, she was just a sh- shy girl. She's just a shy girl mm. who, whatever, like, she was, she, if she's, you know, she plays the mascot. She's doing throwing around like that. So, like, are you telling me that she's going to run around like she's, like, you know, in a typical girly fashion? That's, for me, it's, you're not even watching her performance. That That's what, that, I don't know, that's how I felt. I am in agreement with you there. Um, Vince Warren's performance, once the body swap uh, occurs, is just overly girlish. Um, and it doesn't match up with what Catherine Newton established in the first few minutes of the film. I think I, I had a little bit more fun with it than you. Um, I think there's a lot of superficial fun uh, to be had here in the body swap, in uh, the relationship with um millie and her friends and millie and her crush and how that develops like all of that it's not sort of you know reinventing the wheel but i think it's done well enough that you can have fun with it but yeah i i felt it was superficial fun like i I, i'm a big captain newton fan i should say as well i first took notice of her in supernatural which is a show that uh i watched uh when it was back airing uh for a while that that obviously had an incredible run and that was the first time I, i took notice of her but she was also really good in Blockers. I'm not sure if you remember that film, but... Um... I honestly get her and Mike Monroe confused all the time. <laughs> She's just a generic young blonde girl to me who hasn't really... Like, she'll she'll do the job that she's meant to be of, like, the... I'm a girl next door, but actually I'm beautiful. But, you know, I'm accessible. You know what I mean? It just feels like she's not really challenging herself or anything. I thought she was good at Detective Pikachu. Oh, yeah. She was good in that too, yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Just gonna put yeah. it out there. I thought she was great. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I I liked her performance uh, more than Bourne's. Uh, actually, I thought uh, she was really really good. Um, but yeah, I I 
there's been a lot of people sort of hyping this film before I got to watch it because it came out in the States a while ago and it's taken a while to finally come out in the UK and I didn't feel like it fully lived up to that. Although, again, as I say, I had I had fun with it, but it's not a film which I'm going to be really thinking about or, um, you know, seeing it pop up in my end of year or something like that anytime I, soon. I think you're so right though, Clarice. Now I think about it. Had it been maybe like, I don't know, Vince Ford and Zendaya doing a swap, that would be far more interesting because I think Zendaya is like a superstar. Do you know what I mean? Lindsay Lohan then was like a hot shit. <laughs> and I just don't think, no one really cares mm. about like Catherine. <laughs> like, no, no shade to Catherine Newton. But she's not like, she's not a she's not a household name. She's not, well, not in my, in my book. She's not a draw for me. I mean, even if you had someone like, what's the girl from... Um, uh, the boys I loved before, Lana Condor. I can even imagine that would be a more, oh, this is really cool because it's Lana Condor from that. But I just don't think Catherine has got that name recognition that people might be like super excited about to see. Oh, let's see Vince Vaughn do <laughs> do that. But there you go. Interesting. Okay. Uh, well, uh, mixed uh, takes there across the board. It's going to be interesting to see where we land on this. <laughs> the time has come for screen, stream or skip. For freaky Hannah. I think I'm just gonna say skip. Ooh. Especially as we're gonna be talking about something else on here that I think given <laughs> I probably prefer that one, even though I didn't anyway, I'm not gonna get into it later. But for me at the moment, I just think skip it. Watch the watch the hot chick. Cruise. <laughs> I would say stream. It's it's fun. I just yeah, it just didn't it doesn't quite click. This is stream uh for me. Uh I had enough fun with it in the moment, but it's not a movie I'm gonna be thinking about tomorrow. Um speaking of tomorrow, it's time to talk about the tomorrow war. <laughs> Thirty years in the future. We are fighting a war. Our enemy is not human, and we are losing. We need you to fight. I will be back. And I love you, Chickpea. Seven days from now, when you're sent into that war, you won't be fighting for your country. You'll be fighting for the world. You all right? Yeah. Going to war. Stop talking. Listen. Sorry, I, I mean, when I'm nervous, I talk. I'm like 90, 97 on the nervous scale. Oh, you, you wanted a war. Let me, oh, sorry. Let me just check my diary. Oh, I'm so sorry. I I can't do today. How about a tomorrow war? Okay, a man, a man, a mighty man named Chris Pratt is drafted <laughs> to fight in a future war where the fate of humanity relies on his ability to confront his past. Directed by Chris McKay, who did the Lego Batman movie, which is an iconic movie we love. Uh, alongside Pratt is Yvonne Ostrahovsky, who's from The Handmaid's Tale, my favourite man, J.K. Simmons, Betty Gilpin, um, who recently <laughs> described herself as the Windows 97 Jodie Comer, or Windows 94 Jodie Comer, and I thought that was a hilarious <laughs> self-deprecating description. We love you, Betty. Aww. Um, <laughs> You're so much better than that, Betty. <laughs> also, can, just sorry, before we go into it, do you not think that um, Betty Jodie Comer and uh, Magdalena 
uh, from last week from sweat. <laughs> uh, was it? Kolischnik. Uh, yeah. They all look the same. <laughs> they look like the same woman, right? That's the new Margot Robbie. They do. You know, <laughs> Emma, Mac- Emma Mackey. Anyway, and also um, Sam Richardson. Oh, I love him. He was in Veep and he's in Detroiters. He's also in it. Um, so, so yeah. So, Amon, what's your thoughts on Tomorrow War? I was mixed on the Tomorrow War. Um, I'll start with what I liked about it. I do, I do think some of the action is fun and impressively staged. There is a scene, um, sort of which starts off in a staircase, and the way in which they film that and up the dread before unleashing all the monsters as they do, I think is actually really, really good. I think the design of the creatures is, you know, derivative, but I think still effective. Um, Yvonne Strahovski is an actor I've been fond of for a while. I, I've watched her all the way back in her Chuck days. If you haven't, if you have not watched Chuck, go and watch Chuck. It's a lot of fun. Um, and she gives, I think, a lot of emotional weight to her side of the story. But, you know, some of the plotting doesn't make sense. Some of the dialogue makes you just go, huh? I'm going to leave um, any specifics about that to Clarice because I know that she has one or two thoughts about that. Um, <laughs> and I think there's just a disconnect, um, in tone because on the one hand, you got this, you know, summer blockbuster here, here come the monsters, let's all fight the monsters. And then on the other hand, you got this PTSD, um, sort of, you know, dealing with serious issues and they just don't really, it never really lines up and connects. Um, we were talking about Betty Gilpin a little bit earlier. Betty Gilpin deserves better than the role in which she's got here. I think she does it well, but we've seen Betty Gilpin in Glow. We've seen Betty Gilpin in, what was that? Um, the Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> she's so good at that. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, you know, if we've seen that you're capable of that, you're not, it's just, it's not to say that she doesn't do a good job in this role. It's just beneath her. And I want to see her do sort of more uh, challenging leading role stuff in future. I'll also say that the, the joke the, the 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 hit and miss ratio with the jokes is you know very sort of uh, low, um, especially in the early going. There are some uh, jokes which just made me roll my eyes. Yeah, I'm I'm not even sure at this point where whether to say screen stream or skip. I'll be thinking about it as Hannah and Clarice are talking. But I was very mixed on it. Uh, Clarice, uh, s- similar similar thoughts. I know you weren't too much fan in the WhatsApp chat. Like I don't. I don't think the comparison to Independence Day is, like, unmerited because, you know, in Independence Day, there's that famous scene where Will Smith punches the alien and he's like, welcome to Earth. And it's like, fuck, yeah, that's really cool. (laughs) (laughs) There's a scene in this where Chris Pratt just, like, repeatedly shivs an alien going, die, 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 die. (laughs) It's just, like, it's like the contrast of, like, what this, what Independence Day thought was cool, what Tomorrow War thought was cool, was like Chris Pratt and a bar brawl with an alien. Uh, yeah, I. <laughs> mm. No disrespect to the cast <laughs> and creative team on this movie. There's some people who mm. I really like, both in front of the camera and behind the camera. But uh, I would love to take this movie out and fight it, <laughs> much like the the bar brawl between Chris Pratt and the alien with the little tiny. It's got a little tiny stabby thing. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the thing I like. If 
it was just a dumb movie that would like a dumb action movie that would be one thing and yes it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make any sense because like this they they come from the future and they're like hey aliens are attacking us in the future do you, uh there's like not very many of us left do you want to help and then the planet's just like yeah, we won't set up any kind of military training program. We're just going to get, like, whoever. We're going to text them saying, you got to go fight the aliens. You're probably going to die. Like, it's like an iPhone alert <laughs> saying, time to sign up and die. And and then they go and it's like they're trying to do stuff with time paradoxes and it doesn't make any sense. But, like, whatever. That That's one thing. I think Amon kind of <laughs> touched on the problem I have with this movie is that... It's interesting because it, it is directed by Chris McKay, who did the Lego Batman movie. Fabio's very funny, and so there's a sort of that trying to have a sense of humor. The script is by Zach Dean, who his CV has mostly been very like gritty, serious crime movies, and trying to put those two together. Chris Bratt is playing two people at the same time. This is what <laughs> just like drove me up the wall, because fifty percent of the time he's Andy Dwyer or Star Lord, which is great. I really love when Chris Bratt does that. I think he's very funny and very charismatic, and he's good at being like the human golden retriever. That is the him at the peak of his powers. But then, like, every other scene, he goes very serious face. Mm. <laughs> and he starts talking about, like, we've got to respect the veterans. Like, we've got to go to this war. Like, we're going to, you know, like, man, I'm not a hero. I'm just here to save my daughter. <laughs> and it's like, who are you? <laughs> because they try to both represent him as, like, the average man. Because the idea is that in the tomorrow war it's just average people are going up against mm -hmm. the aliens and so 50 percent of the time he's there but also he's he's like a highly specialized veteran who could just <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah he's not average at all he has like inc like really highly specific military experience and can shoot aliens like dead in the face so i don't and, and then it's trying to do this thing with ptsd that like <laughs> so chris pratt's character is estranged from jk simmons character is his dad and there's a scene very early on where they have a conversation about why J.K. Simmons left. And he said, I'm a Vietnam veteran. I came back from the war and I had such severe PTSD that I was like scared for my family. That's why I left, because I was scared of what would happen. Which to me feels like, I don't know, it feels like kind of the right decision to make. It's really sad. Like, it's really sad in this movie about aliens that look like velociraptors <laughs> i thought but they looked like the those flying the um, monkeys you know those ones that got those wings oh do you know what i mean they got in the jungle and yes. like, they jump from tree to tree and they glide they look like those oh i thought you meant no no you know those gliding monkeys that have like they like what are they oh yeah those ones like that they kind of remind me of that yes oh they made me just think of like or they have little T-Rex arms <laughs> and they were always going eh, like velociraptors. Um, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm so angry at this movie. But then the rest of the movie is all about Chris Pratt being like, I'm going to be such a good dad. I've never abandoned my family. And it's like, what? So you're blaming, you're like, yeah, J.K. Simmons, how dare you get PTSD? Like, you asshole. And I just like, for a movie that very much I could tell was trying to be like, oh, we want to make it about like veterans, like the difficulty of veterans. Like, then why are you blaming them for their own PTSD? It's 
Yeah. Fucked up. I don't. I. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I get. I like. I get that it's probably not the intention. They're probably just like you know, spinning too many plates. But that is how the movie has ended up, and that's the message that it tells. And it just like why? <laughs> just make it the, the. Just shoot the aliens in the face and be done with it. We don't need this extra thing. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it definitely felt like a film made by committee in the sense of okay, or or like a it's like okay, this is this is what we're gonna make today. Here's a little dash of a quiet place. Oh, we're gonna throw in some Terminator, uh, Terminator Two. Oh, actually, it might be Terminator Salvation, um, uh, <laughs> Independence Day, and also interestingly with the I think it's so interesting you mentioned Independence Day because. That is a film that did the PTSD really well through Randy Quaid's character. He was like this drunk mm. who who's yes. a dust uh, dust cropper, whatever they're called. And, yeah. and then his kind of like redemption storyline, I thought it was so beautifully done. Um, this there's even some of it as the film progressed. It felt oh Edge of Tomorrow. What so you know you were talking about the playing two different characters. Are, like he's supposed to be the everyman in Edge of Tomorrow. Tom Cruise is like this dude. He doesn't know anything, and he needs to keep training up. And he's in that time loop, right? And it's Emily Blunt mm-hmm. who has to train him up. And that was like, yeah, that's a really good way of doing like this everyday. Like it's not Tom Cruise who's super amazing. It's him stripped of the even hunt the the action pack. This guy doesn't know how to do it. That's really interesting. Whereas, you know, suddenly you've got Chris Pratt who's like. I'll have, like landed in a swimming pool. I'm gonna need you to take point and do a uh, search and rescue. Comp- it's a, a, a C C uh, what is it? C S R A or whatever it is. C S A R combat search and rescue like uh, like acronym. I'll get this. Okay, all these people who've literally never been in an active war zone suddenly know exactly what it's saying. It's like as if you'd be like, oh yeah, you two go point. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> like I'd be like. <laughs> like as if I mean I do think there's so many nice ideas like I think it's a good idea I like the idea that like people over a certain age get drafted I think especially when you consider how young people constantly get drafted I thought finally finally the boomers get to go mm-hmm. um I thought the kind of the father-daughter thing you know again it's been played out better I think uh the kind of you know, it's like Interstellar or whatever. I think it's been done far better in, in other films. I also felt the film went on for far too long. It suddenly became a whole different film at the end of it. And again, it's this, mm. it's this kind of, we're going to throw every ingredients in and we don't even know if it's going to taste nice, but here you go, we're going to serve it to you. And it's just, you know, a lot of conflicting flavours that never really work together. Um, I, it's so interesting to talk about Chris. Like, I think Chris Pratt is so funny. And Sam Richardson is so funny. Like this film didn't, again, it didn't know whether it was trying to be this comedy action caper or just a serious like Terminator 2. But even in those films like, you know, Independence Day, again, go back to that. It's not supposed to be super funny. It's actually fundamentally an action drama, but with moments of levity to kind of <laughs> pull you back out of the despair because it's like the end of the world. How do we kind of keep this flowing so the audience doesn't feel like it's just totally kind of witnessing devastation? And I think this is the film just didn't get that. It's trying to, I just feel like a lot of films are doing, it's like Predator remake. It's all, they're all trying to be too funny, but they're not actually that funny. The jokes don't land and they don't allow the kind of silliness to it or kind of the juxtaposition of someone who's like, you know, Bruce Willis and Die Hard. He's just like the everyday dude. He's like, 
oh, come to LA, come come see the kids, go to a party. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's so much, there's so much mirth in the kind of because he is this everyday person. It felt, I don't know, it felt naturally, naturally kind of hilarious. Whereas this feels very forced, um, and 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 they're trying too hard in certain areas, and they're not trying hard enough in others. So it's a shame because there, like you said, Clarice, there are so many people in this who who are great, who are good directors and stuff, but I just think nothing really complemented each other. So yeah, so uh, so I guess is it, <laughs> so it's on Amazon Prime, so it's just a screen, it's a stream or skip. So uh, I'm on. It's a skip for me. Watch Independence Day again. Awesome movie. Uh, I believe yours will be uh, throw this movie in the bin. <laughs> Clarice. I mean, I guess you can't because it's streaming. <laughs> Just block it from your... See if you can block um, it from your, like, streaming service. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Just look away. Don't don't look at it. Um, uh, yeah, watch watch the Lego movie, mm. which... Uh, Lego Batman okay. movie. Uh, well, Chris McKay didn't direct the Lego movie, but he worked on it. I think he might have been animation supervisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, because it's that's a good example of a good Chris Pratt performance. Mm. Like, yeah. that's good. Let him do that. Just let yeah. him do that. I don't know why people won't let him yeah. do that. <laughs> stop! Stop making him he serious. He wants to be serious, and he needs to. He needs to bang bang, go hunting. I love that. The, sorry, but I love the way that you just know that Chris Pratt was like, "Yeah, I've hunt. I I hunt. I know how to." Uh, he's probably giving like notes to the script writers saying this is how you hunt <laughs> this is how you hunt wild games so this is going to be transferable skills for aliens mr oh, i think i think i'm i'm gonna skip and i think as we skip let's skip back in time to 1994 for fifth street another shady side tragedy fits the narrative right Sarah Fears back. Christ, not you two. There's no angry dead witch. The only thing that made him go crazy is this town. The dude was wearing a Halloween skull mask. How is that not fun? Guys, I think there's someone in the woods. Sunny day, sweeping the clouds away. On my way to where the air is sweet. Can you tell me how to get, how to get to Fishy Part 1994? <laughs> <laughs> um, just to, I guess there's like UK listeners. That was the theme to Sesame Street. Yeah, I, I've never heard that before. Um, how you never heard the theme to Sesame Street before? Sesame Street was not part of my, you know, upbringing. I was more Batman. It's on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so the truth comes out. Clarice didn't watch this as a kid. She watches it. This is how she knows it. Oh, no. I watched it. Oh, no, no, no. I watched it, like, every day as a kid. I think it was, like, Barney. Barney, The dinosaur as well. It's a wonderful kind of day. Hey. Full time of day. But that was Arthur, right? No, that was Alf. What is it? What is it? Not Alf. No, it's Arthur. The guy with the little glasses. Oh, there's... I was thinking of, hey, Arthur. Oh, hey, Arnold. Hey, Arnold. Oh, no. (laughs) Hey Arnold! Guys, we're definitely not reviewing Charles. <laughs> we are reviewing Fish Street Part One, nineteen ninety four, um, which is on Netflix right now. Uh, and after a series of brutal slayings, a teen and their friends take on an evil force that's plagued their notorious town 
for centuries. This... Big Bird. <laughs> it's Big Bird. <laughs> this is directed by Lee Janiak. It stars Kiana Madeira, Olivia Scott Welch, Benjamin Flores Jr., Julia Verwald, and Fred Heckinger. It's one of three films that will be debuting on Netflix, the other two taking place in 1978 and 1966. Uh, I have not seen this one, but Hannah and Clarice have. Hannah, what was your take? Yeah, I uh, I felt, it, it, I feel like I've been seeing the reactions this week and maybe I feel like I need to rewatch it because I definitely wasn't as into it as I, I know Clarice was a lot of people. I found, like it was <laughs> fun. There were certain elements of it. I think the opening scene with Maya Hawke doing the whole, hey, I'm Drew Barrymore uh, getting, sorry, getting killed off early like sorry that's like so obvious that was going to happen um i like i kind of you know like the uh the kind of american horror story sort of influence on it with these kind of Mm -hmm. ghost killer ghosts that are kind of preying on preying on the town that was quite interesting um i like the fact that um you know it's not your typical like the diversified it they've made it like a queer couple lead and and, you know, this kind of sidekicks, that Fred kid who I think he was in The Woman in the Window, right? <laughs> He's actually quite a funny guy. Um, yeah, there were moments when I like the little, little brother and stuff. But I, I don't know, it just, it just felt a bit Riverdale <laughs> in sort of this very, it just felt quite generic. And it felt, yeah, I don't know if it was, you know, the fact that it's called Sunny Side and Shady Side. I, I I don't know. It just it just I keep saying I don't know. It didn't... the fact that you're bringing up Riverdale does not bode well. I really tried with that show, but it is no. Not I, I don't want to good. say it's Riverdale, but I just Riverdale think Riverdale is think great. I mean, I just <laughs> from, I was thinking about it made me remind me of Scream, right? And I think about Scream, and I know it's obviously you know came out what thirty years ago now? Is it no twenty years ago? Now, twenty years ago now. Um. But there's something so, I love, I mean, this isn't trying to do like the meta-narrative of, of what Scream did, but there's something so amazing about that film and still stands up and it feels like so, even obviously there was all these slasher films coming before, you know, this felt, that felt so exciting. And I remember actually seeing it when I was 11 years old and I did thought I was going to get someone was going to come into my house. <laughs> I thought Home Invaders for about a week. I could not sleep. It was terrible. It was a sleepover. I was far too young to see it then. But this one, I just, I didn't really, I didn't really care all that much. And I, maybe, maybe because I know it's part of a trilogy. So it felt like it wasn't a complete story. And so then I watched, and then I'm obviously we'll probably go into it next week. We'll see 1978 and then there's 1666. So it felt, I don't know, it's that kind of, I, I sometimes struggle with films that I know are going to, they don't feel resolved. Like it didn't feel resolved at the end of it. <laughs> that kind of bothered me. And I was like, oh God, I've got to watch. Because it's, you know, they're, they're, they're long movies. They're not short. It's not like if you were doing a, you know, three part series, maybe I would have liked it better if they were an hour each and it was like a limited series. Maybe I would have been into mm-hmm. it that way. But I think as three movies, it felt just quite um, arduous to get through, personally. Uh, but, yeah, I can see the appeal, though. I can see why people enjoyed it, but, I don't know. Maybe it was just an off day for me. I really liked it, and I think... I don't know if it 
it helps to have been a Goosebumps child. <laughs> I was a Goosebumps I love Goosebumps. Child, I loved Goosebumps. I remember <laughs> Cam, my favorite okay, one was so Cam Jelly Jam. <laughs> I'm getting a really good picture of your of your of your childhood here. I love <laughs> so those books. Like, I love them. Hey Arnold, you had goosebumps. This is good. This is good. Yeah. And I had another horror series that I read that I think was called The Bailey School Kids, where they it was always just that they thought a teacher was like a vampire or a mummy or something. Mm-hmm. Uh those books are great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah to note that fear street so this is an adaptation of another rl stein series uh from my i never read fear street but from my understanding it was like more teen orientated um i think the story the actual stories were quite different from this but it's sort of based in the same world uh but this movie is rated 18 which i find really funny (laughs) because it is kind of like a very it's a real throwback to like 90s teen horror it just made me feel very ready for halloween like i want to tell stories with flashlights and go trick-or-treating like that's the vibe that it really gave me (laughs) and like it is very like yeah it's so indebted to like horror of the past like you mentioned scream like really strong influence there's some halloween in there because the killers are always like hiding in some oh, yeah. behind trees <laughs> like <laughs> and it also i think the mythology aspect of it and and it's this idea that they're kind of all these old stories and old murders that are all connected and you've got to figure out the mystery actually reminded me a lot of Trick or Treat, which is kind of a a cult classic now, um, unfortunately produced by Brian Singer, mm. but it, it is a great movie. Uh, and yeah, so it's like I I love that it had all that, but it's very I think Lee Janiak, the director, did such a brilliant job of like combining all those influences and putting them out in a way that still felt really kind of fresh and and interesting to me. The way that she uses the camera, like there's something. I don't know. There are so many shots that I was like, "Oh, that's a really, that's a really cool shot." Like slightly, slightly surreal, like slightly heightened feeling of, of terror to the way that she shoots this film. I loved all the performances. Uh, yeah, I think um, Fred Heckinger particularly. Like everybody was really good at playing <laughs> like teenagers that were were kind and interesting enough that you had empathy for them but like also a little bit annoying so that when they died you're like (laughs) 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 Like, you didn't didn't really mind when they got brutally slaughtered and there are some um very gnarly kills in this i would say that i really i will give that for it i think i think i will say that for freaky the opening bit and then also Mm -hmm. i mean they've really got imaginative um with kills nowadays especially as you know i think so many of them been done before. I mean, you know, sorry to go back to like scream, but when 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 Rose gets Rose McGowan gets her head like squashed in that, you know, dog <laughs> dog flap in the garage door, that was just like crazy. And there's a really horrible kind of head slicing thing in this one. So yeah, shout out for the imagination yeah. there. And that's probably what Eddie 18 because it's gory as hell. Yeah, and I was kind of like impressed by the ballsiness of like 
not cutting away. There are certain points where I think other horror movies we've cut away, and this film is like, it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> all the bits of body. Mm. Have a nice look at them. Uh, but you know, it's like gory in a sort of old fashioned vintage slasher movie way, where it's not yeah. realistic. There's just like a lot of blood. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I really, I really like this. I'm really excited for the other two movies, especially the 1666 yeah. one, because I love me some Salem witches. So the time has come. It's only stream and skip because this one is on Netflix. Hannah, stream or skip? Um, I, I'm going to say stream because I think you can't watch the other ones without this one. I mean, maybe you could, but mm. I, I, I would say stream this one more than I would do Freaky, so stream. Yeah, definitely stream. No, Nobody gets burnt alive in this. Maybe they will in 1666. And they would be really having a, a hot time hot we're doing we're doing hot take it's time for hot take, take. take. so i'm a 1666 witch being done alive <laughs> ain't it <laughs> so the release of quentin tarantino's novelization of his 2019 film once upon a time dot dot, dot in hollywood <laughs> has obviously meant the director's been doing a little bit of press recently and it was during an appearance on joe rogan's podcast uh gross <laughs> that the topic of bruce lee's depiction in the film was brought up and what tarantino had to say on the matter was this i don't know if i can do a tarantino impression <laughs> where i'm coming from <laughs> I can understand his daughter having a problem with it. It's her fucking father. Everyone else, go suck a dick. Oh, cool. <laughs> As you might remember, the suck a toe, cutie. Saw. Suck a toe. <laughs> He'd actually like that, though, wouldn't he? Oh my god. <laughs> As you might remember, the controversial scene in question saw aging stuntman Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, take on the legendary Lee, played by Mike Moe, and see him getting thrown against a car, leaving a sizable dent. Tarantino insisted that the fight was based on truth as this is the quote Bruce had no respect for American stuntmen he was always hitting them with his feet it got to the point where they would refuse to work with Bruce and there are a lot of issues with this statement so let's unpack them who who would like to go first <laughs> after you Hannah I think well my pet peeve is for most people who do um films that are in some way based on real life and real people so a bi like a biopic and obviously once upon a time in hollywood is revisionist history so obviously these you know leo and brad pitt's characters aren't real but we know that sharon tate margaret robbie's character we know bruce lee are i think there's a responsibility to 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 them and their legacy um and how you present them um i um, i love kind of tarantino <laughs> um I've loved, I love pretty much love all of his films. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a film that I didn't like as much because I felt that the Sharon Tate storyline was not ha best represented, uh, didn't best represent who she is or who she wanted to be known as. And I think with the Bruce Lee bit, it, it frustrated me a bit that they wanted to, this is committed to now to celluloid, that he was this dick who got beaten up by this fictional character. And this is the thing, what annoys me about this quote, that. Quentin Tarantino gave he says it's in the book your novelization of a fictional movie <laughs> of a character you're saying oh he says like oh Cl Cl Cliff sorry I keep saying Clint Cliff Cliff um he's a military guy he did it's like so you basically designed a guy and written him to be the exact person who could uh beat up Bruce Lee in that sort of sense 
But take that aside, you know, as, as a plenty of people in this kind of tweet that Dave Brown pointed out, Bruce Lee didn't disrespect American stuntmen. He was also born in America, so don't other mm-hmm. him. Um, and just like actually listen to the story. Even the guy he, even the guy Quentin Tarantino quoted from his bio, uh, biography of Bruce Lee even says, sorry, cutie, you've misquoted me. That's not what I said. So it just feels a bit, um, I don't know, egotistical for him to suddenly say this is actually the truth it's not dude and you should show a bit more respect um to the people who basically paved the way for so many of the great cinema and all the stuff that you stole in your movies like kill bill like if you would not have kill bill and all this without bruce lee so put a little bit of respect on his name yeah johnny i can actually read the rebuttals from the biographer matthew polly um because i think this is very interesting Mm -hmm. What I said in my book is that Bruce wanted to change American fight choreography so that the blows would miss by millimeters rather than by feet, aka the John Wayne Mm. punch, or also the Indiana (laughs) Jones punch, (laughs) in order to better sell the technique. But in the process, Bruce did bang up some of the stuntmen on the Green Hornet, which pissed them off. So they asked Jean LaBelle to settle Bruce, Bruce down. It wasn't an issue of disrespect, but a difference in fight choreography, philosophy, and style. Which is very different from what Tarantino implied. Yeah. yeah, I don't understand why he keeps digging this hole um, for himself. We had the same discussions um, about it when the film was released. And, you know, his quote, like, you know, it's okay for Shannon Lee, Bruce Lee's daughter, to say what she's saying, but everyone else can go screw themselves. Like, the critics of the Bruce Lee scene include many Asian Americans who are saying the exact same stuff that Shannon Lee is saying. By the way, um, I highly recommend going to The Hollywood Reporter and read and read Shannon Lee's latest column on this whole sort of you know, the part two of this controversy um, because uh, she makes you know, some really thoughtful points about uh, Bruce Lee and his legacy. And, you know, as Hannah, you touched on, um, that is something which has been appropriated by people like Quentin Tarantino uh, for years and Bruce Lee doesn't need that um so yeah I I don't understand like just on 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 this on this on the simplest level of this if I've got Shannon Lee on one hand and I've got Quentin Tarantino on the other I know which one of those two people I'm believing on an issue like this and it's not going to be Quentin no matter how much he <laughs> keeps digging this hole as I say um so yeah I wish he would be quiet on this because as a filmmaker as you mentioned Hannah there's a lot to like about Quentin. I, I, like, I enjoy a lot of his films, um, but this is a problem. This scene was a problem and it would be nice if he owned up to it. I don't see it happening though. This is a guy who had no respect for Uma Thurman's safety on Kill Bill that landed him over an mm-hmm. injury doing a stunt that she still lives with. So I just think it's a bit mm-hmm. fresh of Quentin Tarantino to try and talk about disrespect. <laughs> mm. And also I think to to use like oh like this is historical fact like that's what bothers me when he said well no mm. this is historical fact and he'd actually completely misquoted mm. it which like fine you know we all mess up and misquote things all the time but if he's claiming that he had done enough research to you know accurately portray Bruce Lee in the film surely he would know this why is he why is he saying something that is factually incorrect I think that's what really bothers me about He's also really flogging this film. Like, the novelization, he's going to do a play. Like, (laughs) God. Write your final movie, mate. Do the Star Trek movie. Come on, (laughs) give us something new. Like, it was, you know, don't get me wrong. I 
again, like this comes from a place of like love and appreciation, but I just don't think <laughs> because he's made movies that I like, he gets an, a get out of jail free uh, for the problematic things that he says. And this kind of idea that because I've watched every single movie invented suddenly, what I say is gospel. Um, that's not true at all. And he needs mm -hmm. to acknowledge his kind of the, the blinkers that he has on that actually he's the most disrespectful uh, person when it comes to all of this situation. I, I wish it's kind of disappointing, man. It's like, God, is he turning into Morrissey? <laughs> Can I not enjoy <laughs> the Smiths anymore? <laughs> it's interesting to me as well, because I, I think like this whole thing connects to my the issue that i had with once upon a time in hollywood is that he did take he took lee and he took sharon tate who are both people who like in very different ways obviously but they still suffered at the hands of hollywood at the hands of like american society and they they're kind of both used as props to propel like these two completely fictional men who in the film are representations of like the last gasp of classical Hollywood, like this thing that is about to die because of the the Manson murders, which you know commonly they always say, oh, that was the death of the sixties, and it was the birth of like New Hollywood, uh, and this sort of like darker, less innocent time. Uh, I mean, that's a simplification, but <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of what you you get in the movie, and and uh, like I I'm guessing people have all seen it by now, right? And I can talk about yeah. the ending. Mm -hmm. What really bothered me about that movie is to use Sharon Tate in a way and then have these like fictional, like, oh, this, these representations of, of something, of this classical Hollywood, of this thing that Tarantino misses and hopes that he could still hold on to. To have them like barge in and save oh, the day yeah. and save Sharon Tate, and it's like, hooray, you know, now the 60s will never what end. What annoys me <laughs> so much we about <laughs> We defeated Charles Manson. It's like, I, that really bothered me. I liked a lot of the film. That, that really bothered, bothered me, me so much, too, because I think of Inglorious Bastards and that end sequence, again, revisionist history, but they allowed a whole load of Jews to kill Hitler and kill all these Nazis. And that end scene is so like, yes, fucking yes, this is what we want to see. <laughs> and then in this in this film where it's talking, like you have these two, and again, they're likable, but they're also very toxic men. And, and Charles Manson was a toxic man. His to toxic, fragile masculinity is reason why he basically became a cult leader and forced these people and like kind of brainwashed these people. Those, they, they were tools of his all toxic man. To then have like these toxic men be products of this toxic man instead of having like Sharon Tate. Wouldn't it have been so sick to let Sharon Tate fucking win? I wanted her to win. I wanted, yeah. because she's in the peripheral of this story and she's just there to be this like, oh, look at me heavenly dancing around all the time. That for me was such a cop-out and such a missed opportunity. Also, the fact that they had Emil, uh, the fact that they had uh, Emil Hirsch who literally went to jail for throttling a woman at Sundance Film Festival um, and was served time in jail for it and then having him in the movie in, in the farm <laughs> and, and at the end that really did not do much for me and probably why the sony would not let me go to a screening of that film <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i look i get why they couldn't do this because people would be upset by it but it should have been that the door you know kicks down at sharon tate she's got a shotgun she's pregnant she shoots them all down like 
that's kind of how that movie that would have been the most respectful thing for me (laughs) i would be like that is the (laughs) shit i want to see pregnant woman can do it all (laughs) (laughs) it feels kind of disrespectful but it feels less disrespectful than what they actually did so i don't know (laughs) i would have preferred that ending there you go alas Write that ended. Do normalize that ending, Quentin, please. <laughs> Do it, Hollywood. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Clarice Lockery. I'd watch that. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And happy viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast. And tweet us if you have something you'd love us to shout out next week. Use the hashtag, hashtag FadeToBlackPod, and you can follow us uh, at Clarice Lou, or I'm also on Instagram at Clarice Lockery. I'm at Hannah Flint on Twitter and at Hannah Ines Flint on Instagram. And I'm at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram. Yay. Farewell, film friends. Now it's time to fade to black. <laughs>